Uh, we continue with our studies through the prophecy of uh, Micah. And today we are in chapter 4, since we covered chapter 3 verse last week. So chapter 4 verse 1 to 5. Chapter 4 verse 1 to 5 of Micah. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and peoples shall flow to it and many nations shall come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the uh, of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall bear, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Um, I think we will understand this verse better if we turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verse 26. So he gives an example of, of Hagar and Sarah. Um, let me just read the world text. Tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham and two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically, allegorically uh, this way. Excuse me. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Erga. Now, Erga is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the dissolute one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he, was, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. He writes to the Galatians comparing 
Herga with Sinai and then with Jerusalem at the time. And then Sarah is compared to not Jerusalem in Palestine, but Jerusalem above. He tells them of Jerusalem above as free. And then he says that she is our mother because we are the children of the promise. Many years earlier, as you see, Mike had written of Jerusalem saying that God's kingdom is not tucked in some hidden corner. It shall be the up of the Alps, the Everests of the Everests, visible from everywhere on the globe, visible by every nation and welcoming every people from every tribe, language, and nation. And the day is coming when the kingdom of Jesus Christ shall be the most visible thing in the world universe. And all the peoples and nations, that is Jews and the Gentiles, shall flock to it, as even as it is happening right now. Pagans from the west and the east, pagans from the south and the north, who, know, who knew nothing about this amazing thing, find a place to rest in Mount Zion. If you compare this chapter with the previous one, you will behold the goodness and the severity of God, as Paul writes to the Romans in, in Romans 11 verse 12. At the end of chapter 3, we read that Zion shall be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Think about that. That, that uh, Jerusalem and Zion shall be uh, like a field, like a forest. And then all of a sudden, we, we have the mountain of the Lord. So I would see chapter 3 verse 12 as corresponding to Herga or Sinai or Jerusalem that is earthly. And verse 4 to 5 speaking of Zion above. We, we, we don't want to be where there is going to be no stone left of another because it's going to be plowed as a field. Exactly what Jesus was telling the disciples about the temple, that there was not going to be any stone left another uh, in that beautiful Jerusalem temple. Jerusalem was to become a heap of ruins. But in this chapter, there is a, a, a lorry full of divine promises and joy to ones the Jewish church and the Gentile church having been brought together because they all will flock to Jerusalem. The Jews, the Gentiles, and the emphasis actually of this passage is the peoples, the nations, flocking to belong to the Christian, uh, to the Christian church. Uh, built upon the rubble 
of the former Jewish temple so that we ourselves, the Bible says, are like, are like living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We stand on the shoulders of the Jewish apostles and Jewish prophets to be what we are as a church with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, as Ephesians 2.20 says. So what do we learn out of this text? First of all, that Yahweh shall ultimately exalt Zion. If you look at uh, that verse, I mean this passage, it doesn't speak of the Lord Adonai. It speaks of Yahweh, the covenant making the covenant keeping God. Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. God, we know, in the eternity past, before the foundation of the world, entered into the covenant of redemption with himself to redeem us from our sins at the cost of his son. And, and the Son came and accomplished salvation for us at the cost of his life by his death on the cross. And as if that is not enough, God, uh, uh, the triune God, sent the Holy Spirit, because we know that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. He sent the Spirit on the day of Pentecost to indwell us and so, at some point in your lifetime, you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And why did you believe? Because you are enabled by the Spirit of God to believe. So the Holy Spirit applies the, the Father's love and the accomplished work of Christ to individual sinners who are God's elect. God made this covenant out of his own good pleasure. And whenever we read of Yahweh, whenever you see in the modern translations, they tend to do it this way. It's uh, capital L-O-R-D, speaking of Jehovah, if you will, if that's a word you prefer, or Yahweh, if you're like me. So Micah here speaks about it in this text, the full realization of the covenant of redemption is in the latter days when the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up and uh, lifted up above the hills as one. This promise is not instigated by man's initiative or request even or application. It is of God. He began it and he accomplished it out of his mercy, love, and grace outpoured to us by his Son. And not only will the Lord lift up Zion, but people shall flow to it. And it seems like this is the way God is lifting up Zion. Who are these peoples? The Bible says that these are the many nations, the Gentile nations from every race every language every tribe and every people 
And we have to be reminded here of the promise of Abraham's blessing, that he was to be the means by which all the families of the earth will be blessed. As he was told in Genesis 12, verse 3, when God changed his name in chapter 17, verse 5 of Genesis, it was because God had made him the father of a multitude of nations. God then promised to make him exceedingly fruitful and make him to be many nations. There in chapter 17, verse 6 of Genesis. So this promise to Abraham runs through the pages of scripture. So we are going to the Zion of God, which is promised and advanced by God himself. God promises to not only restore Jerusalem to be his own city, where he dwells, but he also commits to make it greater than ever before. He's not going to restore Jerusalem to be like Jerusalem of old. He's going to make it Jerusalem above, even though this will come after the destruction of the former, as we've seen in chapter 3, verse 12. It is going to be just, it is not, it is not going to be just a city for the Jews. But it's also going to be a city for the nations and the peoples of the earth. And it's now a place of focus for the nations, as Micah writes. And very, very interestingly, I don't know whether it is Isaiah or, or uh, Micah uh, plagiarizing another. But what I know for sure this is by the inspiration of the Spirit that this passage is right there in Isaiah 2, quoted verbatim. So turn there, please. Isaiah 2, verse 1 to 5. This is what Isaiah writes. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days. When shall Micah's prophet, prophecy come to pass? In the same period described as the latter days. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swans into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall lift up sword against nation. Uh, excuse me. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. 
<clears throat> what is quoted in Micah as, let us walk in the name of the Lord. It's written by Isaiah to be, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That is in the light of Christ, who is the light, as he said. The, the Holy Spirit who inspired this text clearly does lay a lot of emphasis on the Gentiles coming to Zion, coming to the mountain of the Lord, which is the highest of the highest of the mountains. And so then we ought to lay a keen interest on God's church where he assembles his elect people to worship. We should be concerned for its welfare and further its interest. This is what, this is what uh, Spurgeon commenting on this text says. He says, though Zion be plowed as a field, but God has not cast off his people. But by the fall of the Jews, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so that it proves to be the riches of the world, as Paul writes in Romans 11, 11 and 12. This, Spurgeon says, is the mystery which God by the prophet here shows us. And he says the very same in the first three verses of this chapter, which, which another prophet said by the word of the Lord at the same time, Isaiah 2, verse 2 to 4, that out of the mouth of, those, of these two witnesses, this promise might be established. Because you know the Bible says by, it is by the evidence of two or more witnesses that truth shall be established. So by the mouth of these two witnesses, these promises might be established. And very precious promises they are relating to the gospel church, which have been put in part accomplished and will be yet more and more for he is faithful to that which he has promised. And so the question is, when will this come to pass? When will this happen? The Bible says it is in the latter days, as both Isaiah and Micah says. It is in the last days that God shall restore Zion to be beyond its initial glory. By the manifestation of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall reign forever and ever. The two prophets foresee the days of the Messiah when God sets up his church. After the defection of the Jews and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. The destruction after the destruction of the Jewish church, so that the people of God among the Gentiles shall be incorporated into the new church, which includes both Jews and Gentiles. You know, the church which, which, which they foresaw is an institution of unity. It takes away all the hostility and creates in Christ one new man in place of the two, so making peace and reconciling us to God in one body 
through the cross, as Paul told the, the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, verse 15 and 16. This is the crown of our charter, that God deals with all men in the same way. Since all are sinners, both Jews and Gentiles, all have fallen short of the glory of God, having sinned, therefore it's only right that they be saved in the same way and be incorporated into one institution, the church, to become the body of Christ. That's the glory of the new temple. The latter house shall be greater than that of the former uh, prophet Haggai wrote in Haggai chapter 2 verse 9. This is it, brothers. Yahweh has exalted Zion, the city of God. So then what follows is very obvious. If we've heard of an exalted place where everyone is going, Jews and Gentiles, what should be the next point of action? Yes? It is? It is to go there, isn't it? And so there is an invitation to come into Zion of God in the second place. Micah here urges peoples, and whenever you read that word peoples in the Bible, read that to mean Gentiles. So here Micah, who is, who is himself a Jew, urges all peoples of the earth to come up to the mountain of Yahweh that he has already spoken about. Come, he says. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. Now, this tells us of the significance of the mountain of Yahweh. It is the house of God, of Jacob. This is a reference to the temple where God manifested his presence. And that temple, pointing forward to, to the more glorious one, what is the purpose of going to the temple in Zion? What is the primary purpose of going there? It is so that God may teach us his way, so that we may walk in his paths. This was our prayer this morning from Psalm 86. And it is even right now that the reason why we are being invited to go to this city of God is so that the Lord Yahweh, may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths, that we may learn obedience. This is the reason for coming to the Zion of God. It is for the purpose of meeting with God and to learn his ways and to be with his community in his household. So this new temple, all the church shall be firmly founded and established by the Lord Jesus Christ, for it shall be a kingdom of peace. This is put in terms of Christ judging between the nations, and the Bible says he shall decide for strong nations far away. It was in those days of the kings of the earth that there shall come a kingdom, the kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that was like that stone 
that was not cut by human hands, that came and crushed upon the, the, that image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw. These people then shall beat their swans into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What's going on? There will be no need to defend themselves. There will be no need to institute peace by acts of war. There, was, there will be no need to defend peace by the use of weapons. For God shall rule his kingdom in a manner that will make everyone happy. You know, but then you notice that while weapons will be unnecessary, uh, farm tools and equipment will be in use. But this will be a house of peace, is the point. For the prince of peace shall reign, he shall judge, and establish his rule in his sovereignty. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Think about it. Think about those in paradise now and all the different ethnic groups there. No one fights the other. There is peace like a river in the paradise of God. So then here is the invitation to come to be a child of Zion. What are you waiting for? Come. Let us go up to the mountain of God. Come. Everyone, come. The Bible says, come you who are thirsty. Come and buy without money. Come you who are weary and heavy laden. And the Lord will give you rest. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There is mercy in the Lord. Come today, do not delay anymore. Come is a word. And so we should be those who sing, how pleased and blessed was I. To hear the people cry, come, as we sing. To hear, come, let us seek our God today. Come with a cheerful zeal. Yes, come, we haste to Zion's hill, and there our vows and honors pay. Is what we see. Zion is a thrice holy place. It is adorned with holy praise. It's a place that we should go. But it's also a place that we should invite others to come with us. You see, you don't say come when you, you yourself are not going, isn't it? You say go. If you want them to go and you're not going, you don't say come. You say go. So the one who is inviting is also among the ranks of those who are marching to Zion. That's why evangelists are themselves to be saved men and women. But then it does call the, the goers of Zion, those who are marching to Zion to be evangelists, isn't it? You don't think so? Yes? 
Those going to Zion must be themselves evangelists so that we'll be able to say, come with a, uh, with a, with a cheerful zeal, we haste to Zion's hill and there our vows and honors pay. Amen. So you're going to likely meet up with a reluctant lot who don't want to march up to Zion because they don't know what they are going there for. And so they will ask you, why should we go to Zion with you? What is there for us? What is, what am I in for it? They will ask. Look at the blessings of Zion, finally. What a privilege it is to be a child of Zion. Because as we sing, Zion is a thrice happy place. It is adorned with wondrous grace and walls of strength embrace, embrace it around. Yes, in Zion our tribes appear to pray and praise and hear the secret, the secret gospel sound. It is in Zion and that, that David's greatest son has fixed his royal throne. He sits for grace and judgment there. He bends the saints be glad, but then he makes the sinner sand and humble souls rejoice with fear. This is our eternal dwelling place. This is where peace attend our gates and joys. Want to bless the soul of every guest. So the man that seeks Zion's peace and wishes the increase of Zion will have a thousand blessings to rest on him. And so Prophet Micah enumerates the blessings of Zion. He says, Zion is an eternal education center. Don't call your school that way, okay? It is, Zion is an eternal education center. We shall be taught God's word and law and learn his ways. And we'll also learn obedience there. But then also Zion is, a, is the citadel of peace. No weapons have a place there. No nation shall lift up a sword against another nation there. And then Zion is a city of abundance. God dwells with his people and they lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me down to lie in green pastures. He comforts me by his rod and by his staff. Surely his goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in his presence forever. Then there is no fear in Zion. Every man shall sit under the vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make him afraid. So the Bible says, so no fear in Zion. And finally, Zion is established forever. For we walk with the Lord forever and forever. We walk with the Lord. When we walk with the Lord, what shall we fear? When the Lord is on our side, what can we be afraid of? 
And so in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light. I shall not fear. So this is a city where fear has been destroyed and has been replaced with faith. Those are some of the blessings enumerated here of Zion. And now in the next few minutes, I want to apply this message for you. Think about it. Think about this. First of all, the kingdom of Christ that we represent is an attractive kingdom. It's not attractive and beautiful in the eyes of the beholder. It is attractive and beautiful because of what God has done, both to make it appearance beautiful, but what God has also done to make you be willing in the day of his power. So the, the, the kingdom of Christ shall always attract people and nations. They may be far off, they may be near, they may be Jews, they may be Gentiles. They may be men, they may be women. They may be educated and high-ranking. They may be simple and illiterate and poor. But the kingdom of Christ will attract peoples from every nation, wherever they are. And this is a cause for us to make it known. People who are living so far away from Zion, the Bible says they will be attracted to come to Zion. They may have come from as far as Sheba, the queen of Sheba. They may have been the Ethiopian eunuch. They may be Simon of Cyrene. Wherever they are, they have a place. And Zion will never be full, so that it will close its doors and say, enough. No, Zion constantly holds out invitations and calls people to come. So the kingdom of Christ has been made beautiful by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John saw the new Jerusalem descending. And she had been adorned to be like a beautiful bride. Here is a call for us to never be tired of evangelizing. And I want to ask a very personal question. This last week, yes, the last seven days, who did you share with the gospel? Because the gospel is the means by which Christ extends invitation to those who are not yet in. We must share the glories of the cross to all and sundry. And where are they? Where are those people? You live with them, right? They are your neighbors. They are, they are the people that you work with. 
They are your customers and your clients. They are your bosses and your teachers and your fellow students. These people need to be invited to come to join us as we march to Zion. So I ask you again, how many invitations did you disseminate the last seven days? Are you counting in your hand? Yes? There isn't anyone to count? No, this is not good, brothers and sisters. If we are, if we are children of Zion, we are in those patatus with these people who need to hear of the glories and the blessings of Zion. How can we keep quiet? How can we keep quiet seeing how attractive it is? We should be like Isaiah, who cried in Isaiah 62, and he said this, For Zion's sake, for what? For Zion's sake, I, it's not we. You know the kind of question you ask? Uh, one of the things that I've been doing with the guys uh, at the Mujengo is, I would ask, are you saved? And you hear that answer, we are thinking about it. You wonder, when did you become two? When did you become three? It's one of those tactics of evading the gospel. You ask, and they immediately, the person becomes plural, just like that, with no warning whatsoever. It's defensive. And there is a sense in which there is some truth in the we, because the we, anyway, let me just read it. For Zion's sake, I will not keep Silent. Is that your commitment? And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. And then listen to what uh, Isaiah says here. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate but you shall be called my delight is in her and your lad married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. So my point there is, you mustn't keep quiet. Because this new Jerusalem, this Zion of God, is getting more and more attractive as the Lord continues to work on it. The church of Christ, I repeat, the church of Jesus Christ is never tired of receiving new members. Or are we? We are not tired of baptizing those who are coming to faith, those who are being saved. 
We are calling pilgrims to join our ranks so that we can march together to Zion. That's a task of every member of the kingdom of Christ. Secondly, the church of Christ shall never be shaken. The Lord said that he has built his church and not, not even the gates of hell, not even the gates of Hades can prevail against his church. And all the attempts by Satan and all his agents have been thwarted by the righteous and omnipotent hand of Christ. Don't be afraid. The church of Christ has been threatened many times by different kingdoms. But the church of Christ continues to gain more members by the, by the day. And thirdly, we must try for peace with all men. The Bible says that the city of Zion shall be filled by those who have given up all study of the art of war and those who have given up their weapons and are prepared to bear fruit as they, as they leave. Our spirit has been softened, even renewed by grace and indwelt by the spirit of peace. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We are in the kingdom of Christ where righteousness dwells. He makes peace. And nothing is more opposed to the spirit of Christianity than woe. And when, we, when, when men are Christians in name only, and they, and they espouse violence, then they do not belong there. We must try for peace with all men and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12.14 we must not be belong to this city by name only, but indeed, and in truth, wars must cease and peace must prevail for those who name the name of Christ and those who live under the rule of the Prince of Peace. Who do you need to go to today and be reconciled with? Is it your wife? Is it your husband? Is it your children? Is it your brother? Is it your brother-in-law? Is it your mother-in-law? You need to be reconciled with them. Strive for peace with all men and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Think about it. Before you offer any offering, any sacrifice, be reconciled. Insofar as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And finally, we must walk in the name of the Lord in all our undertakings. And if you are looking at the text in Isaiah, we must walk in the light at all times. For all people will walk, everyone, in the name of his God. And we will walk in the name of Yahweh our God forever and ever. When we learn God in truth, we walk in his name under his light forever and ever. God's covenant with us is an everlasting covenant reaching beyond time 
enduring throughout eternity. And so the Bible says it is forever and forever. Some nations have discarded their idol gods and now they are walking to Zion. Not as nations, but as individuals. And those who really know and love the Lord will walk in his name forever and ever. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Amen. May the Lord help us to beat our swords into plowshares. May the Lord grant us a new resolve to pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's rise up to sing the last hymn.